if you've ever considered what takes place before I share something with you from the scriptures, I have a very uh, simple procedure. It's not even a procedure. It's, I guess it's a philosophy. I'll wait until the Lord tells me. There's a lot of good things I can preach. Great materials out there. Brother Wade Horton, I forgot how many volumes of his uh, uh, sermon outlines that, that are in print that's just available. Not only that, but just there's just tons of, of valuable, good, sound, doctrinal, Pentecostal preaching to be preached. Uh, there's no uh, lack of resources along that line. But I've always considered that what the Lord wanted to go forth was the most important. So I just put it like this. I said, Lord, if you tell me, I'll tell them. Amen. So he did. Uh, a few years ago, the uh, Spirit of God spoke to me. said, begin a, a Bible study on Wednesday nights and do it in chronological order, starting in Genesis chapter 1. And we made it all the way to the book of Ruth chapter 2, this Wednesday night, Lord willing, nothing will happen. But he spoke to me again just a, a few days ago, and it was very uh, simple. He said, teach my parables to the people. So we're fixing to dig into those, into the parables of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the parables of Jesus make up a crucial part of the Bible. He had the wisdom to simplify the profound spiritual truths he came to share with humans in the form of relatable stories that are very easy to understand. Now, if you like me, it needs to be presented to you in a fashion that is easy to understand. I ain't the sharpest pencil, you know, or the brightest bulb in the box. And, and I, I need it, you know, to be explained to me in simple terms. That's what the Lord did. A parable is a tale about a simple common subject to illustrate a deeper, valuable moral lesson. The source definition for the word parable means a placement side by side for the purpose of comparison. A parable utilizes the full story to produce the spiritual lesson, whereas a proverb, metaphor, simile, or figure of speech centers on a word, phrase, or sentence. How many of y'all hadn't heard those terms since using high school English? Metaphor, simile, or figure of speech. There are 46. That's why I said that this morning. There are 46 recorded parables in the New Testament. It'll take us eight hours to cover them all tonight, so we won't do that. We're going to start with number one. The first parable in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9, beginning with verse 14. Then the disciples of John came to him, saying... Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment and the tear is made worse. Nor do they put new wine into old wineskins, or else the wineskins break, the wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Now at the beginning here, we have the disciples of John and the Pharisees who, want, uh, who have a question. And that, Lord, how come your boys ain't a fasting? We a fasting. We was taught fasting, and we a fasting. But your bunch ain't a fasting. Now, I want a Big Mac just as much as the next fella. But I am disciplined myself because that is our tradition. We ain't a fasting, but your fellas ain't fasting. Jesus kept the law of Moses T 
to the letter. He dotted every I, he crossed every T. We like to say that. But and we're saved because he kept the law. What we could not do, he did. No man has kept the law God gave to Moses, not even Moses. Only one, Jesus Christ, has kept the law that God gave Moses. Now, just let that sink in for a little bit. Having said that, when we get to this point in time, over the years, as human beings like to do, they added some of their own personal convictions and established some extra-biblical traditions that once they got ingrained was absolutely, they put it on par with the Word of God itself. And I have an example that I'll be sharing with you again all these years. I know some of you are tired of hearing it, but Christmas is coming up. Yay! Everybody ready for Christmas? <laughs> no. How many of y'all already bought some stuff, presents? How many of y'all have already bought me a present? No. Now, you know what I'm going to do this Christmas. I do it every Christmas. There is a tradition ingrained. You can't dynamite it out. I can stand behind this pulpit and absolutely prove to you by the word of God that what I'm saying is right and it won't make a bit of difference in this world. But the wise men were not at the stable when Jesus was born. He was a couple of years old and living in a house. And the truth of the matter is there were probably more. We got this three wise men. Show me that in the Bible. It ain't there. It said wise men. But somebody made a ton of money writing a song saying, We three men of Orient are. You know, we sang that. They were not, you know, but, but every, you know, nativity scene, you got Mary, you got Joseph, you got little old Jesus lying in the manger, and you got all the animals that are around, you know, and, and all that, you know, and, and the shepherds, and all that is around the manger. But then here come these three rich guys riding on camels that were not there. But praise God, we got a nativity scene, we're going to stick them there. It ain't nothing but tradition that put them there. And if you don't think that happens in the church, darling, you ain't been hanging around the church long. I understand the necessity and the importance of personal convictions. Don't misunderstand me. When you get saved, the Lord is going to slip some in your back pocket before you get up off the altar. If you was a bank robber before you got saved, you will cease and desist robbing banks. Amen. What you did... On Friday of last week, you won't do on Monday of this week because you got saved on Sunday morning. I've got, I ain't robbed a bank since I got saved. Hallelujah. Well, there's other, uh, brother Andy, it, it, is that other stuff I've had to repent over, okay? I'm just going to be upfront and honest with you, but robbing banks ain't one of them. I got a conviction against it. Now, poor old Melissa. Uh, she just cringes every time I bring this up. She says, for years I've been waiting to hear on the news, Brother Andy robbed a bank, he just lost his mind. We're going to try to keep our mind. But we have traditions and stuff, and beloved, it sticks. And that's the case here. You have the Pharisees and disciples of John. Hey, 
We are, it was, we are finding fault with you because we do something that y'all aren't doing. So how can y'all be right? I heard a guy years ago, he was described to me as a hard-boiled West Virginian. One of the awfulest church services I've ever been in. If I could have go back in time, I'd have done something else. I'd, I'd have robbed a bank instead of went to the church that night. He just couldn't understand it, praise God, why everybody didn't believe the way he did. I'm saved, sanctified, baptized in the Holy Ghost. Why don't y'all believe the way I do? And I want to stand up and say, because I ain't you, Doc. There are some things, and the Lord, personal convictions work like this. They're tailor-made to you. The Lord knows what you can do and what you can't do. He knows what you can handle and what you can't handle. There may be some issues I can deal with that you can't deal with. There are some things that may overwhelm me. They don't overwhelm you. The Lord deals with us as individuals. Amen. He, he speaks to us. He teaches us. Now, there are absolutes in the word of God. Absolutely. But there are also personal convictions that the Lord having, and I'll, I'll never forget Brother Kenny Morris told me this years ago. He said, Brother Andy, I have convictions I will never preach behind a pulpit. You'll never hear me speak them behind a pulpit. He said, because they're for me. They're not for that congregation. He said, the Lord has put them on me, and I'm not going to put them on them. And I sat there and I thought, I'm having a, a, a God moment here because brother's speaking truth. I need to listen to what he's saying. And it's true. So they have, these, you know, they have this personal conviction about fasting. Now, fasting is uh, you know, part of it. I understand that. But these folks had, had elevated it to a place that God never intended and now they want to know why the disciples of Jesus ain't a doing it. We fast. Why ain't y'all fasting? So the Lord responds to them. Can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast, and sure enough, they did. No one, here's the parable, no one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment for the patch pulls away from the garment and the tear is made worse. Well, that's easy to understand. And y'all had, uh, like me, I went through blue jeans when I was a kid. How many of you boys, boys, men in this house tonight, your mama bought you blue jeans that already had that patch on the knee? Yeah, <laughs> the poster boy right here. My mama bought them because I'd go through, I'd tear them up, you know. And, and I've had, I've had, how many of y'all wore blue jeans that your mama had sold a patch on? Remember them iron-on patches? Yeah, praise God. All of us poor, grew up poor anyway. But I mean, it's part of it. But the Lord says, and, and, and the same issues took place back then. <coughs> he said, you don't take a place of, uh, piece of unshrunk cloth and sew it on that old garment because when it shrinks, it's going to pull away and it's going to tear. For those of you who don't know, that's ever been to Mount Vernon in the uh, West Denham Mill and Finish Department, they have what's called sanferize machines. They run that cloth through a sanferizer. You know what that sanferizer does? It shrinks that stuff to a place where it won't, it ain't supposed to shrink anymore after you get it in your blue jeans or whatever uh, garment it is and you begin to wash it. It won't shrink no more than that because it's been sanferized. And I don't know who that guy was that invented that machine, but I promise you he died a gazillion there. Because he had, uh, uh, Mount Vernon had to pay him so much for every yard of cloth they run through his machines because he wasn't going to sell his copyright. Nobody's smart man. But you get what I'm saying here. You don't, you don't put that 
piece of new cloth on that old garment because it's going to shrink. When it does, it's going to pull. And then he said in verse 17, the next parable, we get covering two tonight. Nor do they put new wine into old wineskins or else the wineskins break. The wine is spilled and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved. The issue here is just is simple uh, physics, if you will. Uh, you put that uh, new wine, that old wine skin, that new wine's going to ferment. When it does, it's going to expand, but that wine skin is not going to expand with it, so it's going to burst, and then you're going to be gone. All your grape juice is going to be gone, and your wine skin is going to be gone on top of that. Well, Brother Andy, what kind of response is this to their question about them fasting? It's simply this. These two parables denote the incompatibility of Jesus' teaching with that of traditional Jewish teaching. Did you know they criticized Jesus for healing people on the Sabbath? I don't care when Jesus heals me. Fourth of July or February 29th. I don't care. But it was a deal to them. And earlier on in, in, the, in the, the Gospel of Matthew, in that 13th uh, of the 9th chapter, he heals that guy and he says, your sins are forgiven. And he's healed. Paralytic. Jumps up, praise God. And they criticize him for that. Who can forgive sins but God? Well, duh, who do you think sitting there forgiving sins? Amen. The only one that can forgive sins is God, and Jesus Christ is God the Son. He's the only one that has the right to do that. Boy, aren't you glad he's just inclined to do that? Hallelujah. But you would think people can get so caught up in their own little deal that they criticized the Son of God for healing a man simply by saying, and he says, what's easier to say, be healed or your sins be forgiven? You know what it says in the book of James? And we quote this often in the New Testament church. Call for the elders of the church. sick among you, call for the elders of the church. Let them anoint them with all. Prayer of faith, you know. Well, we'll, we'll you know, heal to get them healed, cause them to recover. And then here's the phrase that a lot of preachers, they just cut off right there because they are intimidated by speaking what the Bible says next. And if they for committed any sins, they'll be forgiven them. Well, you would think that'd be icing on the cake. I got my healing and I'm forgiven. Praise God. But folks don't like to do that for some reason. Preachers avoid that. I don't know why. I figured that'd just be an extra incentive for somebody to come up and pray. And that's why it is so important. And you, you say, Brother Andy, why have you been emphasizing the altar? Because we have yet to see what God's going to do in these altars. We've seen a lot happen in these altars. We have yet to see, I'm convinced, what the Lord desires to accomplish in these altars. But we're heading in the right direction. Pray one for another that you might be healed. We're getting away from this Pentecostal proclivity to exalt preachers and put them somewhere especially if they on TV help us Lord because that ain't what was intended by the Lord in the book of Acts Peter wasn't the only one baptized in the Holy Ghost come out and start preaching all 120 were pray one for another pray one for another you've been hearing me holler this for years Pentecost means participate Pentecost don't mean I'm going to come to church and just watch the saints burn Pentecost means I'm going to church and I'm going to burn with them Amen? If you don't praise God in this church, you ain't got nobody to blame but yourself. 
I'm just here to tell you, because I'm not holding you back. Amen. I had this message to preach this morning. The Spirit of God began to move. Well, what am I going to do? Quench the Spirit just so I can have my ego stroke by all y'all looking at me and listening to what I have to say? Not if I have a sane brain in my head. I'm going with the Holy Ghost. Amen. He wants to bless people. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you. There's somebody I want to help. Lord, I'm with you. Amen. There's somebody I want to bless. Lord, I'm with you. Praise God. It may be that just a, the, the, the move of the Spirit during the, the choir singing, or it can be Tanya getting up here singing that. We got preached to this morning. I thought she did an outstanding job. I'm sitting over well, praise God. I don't have to do that. The Lord just took care of that. All I have to do is encourage and, and just give the invitation. I'm here to tell you, when word gets out, what God is doing in these altars, We'll have Christian Harvest Festival all over again. We won't have to put it in the paper. Word of mouth. So our Lord here is highlighting the incompatibility of his teaching with that of traditional Jewish personal conviction and traditions that have been ingrained on them throughout the years. Now here we go. Hebrews chapter 8 beginning with verse number 6 and this is where this is really defined in the New Testament for us. But now he, Jesus, has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Because finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant and I disregarded them, says the Lord. Whew, that's powerful. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. Verse 12. Now here's some shouting territory. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Why did Ricky Wood sing that song tonight? He didn't know what I was going to preach. He didn't come by and say, let me check my song with what you're going to preach on tonight, Andy. He didn't do that. It's the Spirit of God. Boy, what gave you confidence in what you was going to share? Well, this choir singing and what Rick sang tonight pretty much nailed it, folks. I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. I've, I've had people over the years I want to grab by the collar and shake them till they were dizzy and say, will you please let go of your past life? If Jesus Christ has forgiven you, forget it. Brother Andy, people won't let me forget it. <clears throat> On people. You don't need that junk. You need to tell them. They throw your past up. That's a great opportunity. Let me tell you what happened to my past. Woohoo! I have been born again. I'm a child of God. 
And all that junk I did, I ain't denied it. I'm just telling you that the shed blood of Jesus Christ has washed it away, and I'm as clean as if I've never done anything wrong a day in my life. How about you? I'm on my way to the kingdom of God. I'm on my way to heaven. Amen. How about you? Yeah, but you don't, you, you know, you, all this, they kind of bring up all this junk. You are not chained. That, your past is not a ball and chain you have to drag on the way to glory land. Jesus got the keys to unshackle that from your leg. Just let him do it, all right? And walk in freedom and liberty because he says, don't, here, look, folks, the only one that matters is him anyway. Nobody else, I'm true, I'm, and, and, and I ain't trying to hurt your feelings. I love you. But the truth of the matter is, he's the only one that matters. People's opinion, his opinion is the only one that matters. I know there are folks I've had to deal with it. I'm not the same person I was when I was in high school. And I've had folks I went to school with absolutely get not cross-eyed. They couldn't believe it. I went to my 40th class reunion, and I was asked to pray before we ate. And I had to do this little deal. I know our, many of y'all who left town, you know, after the day of graduation are going to have a hard time dealing with this. But, oh, Andy is a pastor and have been for a long time now. You know, and after their jaw got back up off the floor, I said, let us pray. You know, <laughs> not him. You remember what he did? Yeah. I remember what I did, too. But here's the good news. Jesus does it. Ha, isn't that great? We don't walk in it. Let the enemy intimidate us. We're not to live an intimidated life. We're not to live in shame. I'm not saying what you and I have done <coughs> is not worthy to be ashamed of. What I'm saying is that there's no shame in Christ Jesus because he nailed our shame, that cross. Bless his holy and righteous name. Verse 13, in that he says a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. What, do you, what are you saying, Brother Andy? It's what Jesus was trying to get across those Pharisees and the disciples of John. I have come to establish a new covenant between God and man. And it is going to replace the old covenant. Now our Bibles have two sections. You have an Old Testament and you have a New Testament. I'm not for throwing the Old Testament away. There are many great lessons to be learned from the Old Testament. But honey, I don't care how Torah observant you might be. It ain't going to save you. Now I got all 613 points of the Mosaic Law in my office. And if you want a copy, I'd be glad to give you one. But you could, you could absolutely strain yourself to, into a hernia trying to keep all that. And you can't. And here's the bad news. You've already broke it. So it ain't going to do you no good to try to justify uh, uh, you know, God's mercy by keeping the Torah now because you've already broke the Torah. You have already broken the law of God. Our only hope and the only hope for man is Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, I'll preach the Old Testament and all that, but I'm going to do it rightly divided. The New Testament is our only rule for faith and practice. Amen. That's what's laid down. Jesus said, I have come to establish a new covenant with you so that your sins may be forgiven and forgotten. How can I live? I'm talking, I don't know why I'm getting on this, but how can I live an abundant life if I'm dragging that ball and chain with me everywhere I go? I can't. I must be delivered from it. 
I have good news to bring. Jesus Christ has done everything necessary to deliver you from that so that you can live a new life in peace, fulfillment, satisfaction, and the abundance of his grace. Now, to fully understand what this new covenant means and what Jesus was telling them about, look, you know, what I'm doing is better than what you've been taught. In John chapter 14, verse number 26, Jesus says, But the Helper, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance <coughs> all things, excuse me, that I said to you. Down in the 15th chapter of John, verse number 26, Jesus says, But when the Helper comes, when the Comforter comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 20, the apostle writes, But you, speaking to the church, you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. What is the fulfillment of what the Lord promised? I will write it in your minds. I'll put it in your minds. I'll write it in your heart. <coughs> then the 27th verse Something's blooming out there. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. He's telling us that the Holy Spirit would come. And see, people have a misconception, especially in Pentecost. And it's, you know, and we're, I guess we're to blame for that. But we got folks, the only thing I know about Pentecost is, you see people speak in tongues. That's all they know. Pentecost people speak in tongues. Oh, sometimes they run. And, some, and they get loud every service. And that's about all I know about them Pentecostal folks. Because I was born and raised a good whatever. And we didn't do that in my church. Help us, Lord. The Spirit of God has been given to us so that Jesus Christ may be uplifted. And if it ain't about Jesus, it ain't about the Holy Ghost, folks. I don't care how long you've been in this thing. The Spirit of God did not come to speak of himself. The Spirit of God came to lift up Jesus Christ and proclaim this gospel with power. That's it. Now here's... The, the, you know, I'll say the icing on the cake, little, the blessing, if you will, that during the course of this wonderful ministry, we are blessed by his presence. And I have yet to experience a blessing from the Spirit of God that I was disappointed with or ever regretted. I do not regret each and every blessing. I don't regret Every word I've spoken in an unknown language, I do not regret every time my body has jumped, jerked, straight up and down, and done whatever. I don't regret none of that. I appreciate it. Think about it. That can be addictive, man. <laughs> People out here addicted on all this dope, they don't know what it is. You know, you see all these, these pitiful people just down to the skin and bone because of meth. You know how the devil works? They, they, I understand in my research, that first time you take that methamphetamine made out of knows, who knows what kind of poison, you will experience this sense of euphoria that is so great that you want to duplicate it again, but here's the worm in the devil's apple. 
you're never able to duplicate it again. You only experience it one time. And he's got you hooked, and you waste the remainder of your life trying to duplicate something that you can't have again. But what about the church? We can have as much of the Spirit of God we want. Isn't that great? Hallelujah. And if we want to get lazy and, you know, sit on our whatever, and, and we don't want to make that, and it tell you requires an effort. We need to make the effort. We got some small, we're just, oh, Lord, here I am, hit me if you can. You know, and, and God forbid, if, if everybody else ain't doing it, I'm going to jump up and do something if ain't everybody else doing it. You know, I appreciate old brother Doug Chapman. Ain't he great? Praise God. And he's an honest fella, too. I, I, I hold him very high esteem. He, he's just a great. But I appreciate what he said at you conference. That time he was here preaching, he was just honest enough to say that service was dead as a hammer. No, but I mean, from Pentecostal standards, it was just, you know, let's go home. He said until, until Sister Martha let out one that did curl your hair or take it off or whatever and begin to get up and walk up and down this aisle. And then all of a sudden, you know, and we, we try to explain him, you know, just like in, in terms we can understand, then it broke loose. But somebody had to obey God first. Somebody had to make an effort first. Amen. So, you know, if you come to church and go, well, it's kind of whatever tonight. If your church experience is based on the quality of my oratory, then I feel sorry for you. Because it, it ain't much. What I'm saying is that every time we come, to, and I don't care Wednesday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, revival, whatever. Every time we come to the house of God, we have an opportunity to make the effort to praise the Lord and to be blessed of him. And people that tell you live in this sin-cursed world that we don't need it, when you write the book, I'll read it, but I will never believe it. We need the Lord. Amen. So Jesus says when he comes, he's going to speak of me. When he comes, he's going to bring to your remembrance all things that I have said. We are not a needy people. I'm talking about the church. Well, I don't know what to do. I've heard I don't know what to do. Yeah, you do. Amen. It's what Jesus said. i got to make a decision. He'll let you know what to do. Most people I counsel, they come, they've already made up their mind. They just want to hear you know, me tell them it's okay. And I don't. You know what I tell them? Well, you through? Yeah, let's pray. What about all this counseling and stuff? I say, well, I don't do that. I pray. Amen. Best thing you can do, you got a decision to make, best thing you do, pray about it. You got trouble, I mean, I, my office door is open, I'll listen to whatever you want to tell me. But when you get through, praise God, let's do something about it. Let's pray. You'll feel better getting it off your chest. And old brother Andy, I'll sit there and listen to you. And I mean, honestly, and, and em, em, I will empathize and sympathize with you. I, you know, and I mean, I'll, I'll get down and, and cry with you. But after all that said and done, praise God, let's pray. Let's call on the name of the Lord. Let's see what the Spirit of God will speak to you. Because he will teach you all things. Amen. It's the Spirit of God who teaches us who Jesus is. It's the Spirit of God that reveals to us the truth of the gospel. And none of us got saved 
unless the Spirit of God presented the gospel to us in such a powerful way that we knew we had to make a decision. We may reject it, but we'll know it's the truth. Amen. You may say, I'd rather go out here and you know, live this sinful life, and that's the decision that folks make. But when judgment time comes, the Lord will say, you knew it was right, and they'll have to say, yes, I knew it was the truth because the Spirit of God revealed the gospel of Jesus to me as truth. But as Christians, this same anointing that we have received instructs us, teaches us. The grace of God that's been revealed to all men does what? Teaches us how we ought to live in this ungodly world. He gives us instruction. He gives us direction. And this is all new because in the Old Testament they didn't have that. Not every man. It wasn't available to every man. <clears throat> you had the prophets, the scribes, and, and the religious elite, people like that. And that whom the Spirit of God would move on from time to time. But not everybody enjoys what we enjoy. That's why the Bible said that the Old Testament prophets and, and leaders and men and women of God, they look forward to this day. They look forward to this day when the Lord was available and accessible to everybody. Thank you, Jesus. I tell you what, I praise God. I don't live under the Old Testament. Fella get himself killed in that Old Testament. Fella get himself hurt in that Old Testament real easy. But we live in grace, unmerited, undeserved favor. Aren't you glad you didn't have to buy it? Because you could never afford it. Aren't you glad you didn't have to earn it because you'd never make it? But the Lord demonstrates his love to us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us and established this new covenant. First two parables, the parable of the cloth and the parable of the wine and the wineskins. The Lord is teaching the disciples of John and trying to help the Pharisees the best he can. He'll look, I've come to do a new thing. They're not going to be sad as long as I'm with them. Think about that for a second. They're not going to be sad as long as they're with me, it, as long as they're in my presence. I'm talking to somebody. You know what it means to be in the presence of God? It's a fullness of joy. <laughs> in your presence is a fullness of joy. I know we have to deal with a lot of stuff, and I've had to bring it out on you know, Wednesday night in that first chapter of the book of Ruth. We kind of sat down on it pretty hard, but I believe the Lord wanted us to. But the good news is in his presence is a fullness of joy. And whatever it is you're dealing with, whatever it is you face, whatever, we have the opportunity. Not only when we come together, but I'm here to tell you that the Lord is available to you anytime, anywhere you're at. Going down the road, I've gone down the road, my hands lifted up, speaking in tongues. That car just, so I, something just occurred to me that promoted praise. Something that, that come to my mind that I said, Lord, I just got to thank you for it right now. And wherever you're at, if you're by yourself or you're in a congregation of 20,000 people, it don't make any difference. He will come to you. He will bless you. Amen. Because in his presence is the fullness of joy. Let us rejoice in this new covenant. Let us be thankful that the Lord has established it for our benefit and for our salvation.
Now, having said all that, we're going to do this. I know most of the time we do this on Wednesday night, but I really